We're going to have to fly Marco back up when he goes to Costa Rica to play for us regularly. It's beautiful. Uh-oh, okay, five months. I knew I could buy that. Let's go to John chapter 4. The last week, the lectionary took us to the third chapter of John, so just the next chapter down, the fourth of the Gospels, the interpretive Gospel. John chapter 4, we're going to start with verse 5 in just a little bit. I have a lot to say before we look at this amazing event, uh, two of the most amazing events of Scripture in in the lectionary the last two weeks. I don't know if you saw the, the presentation that our governor uh, gave when he proclaimed the state of emergency for the drought uh, that is in uh, California. I appreciated the humility with which this, um, you might not know that Governor Brown is a Jesuit trained seminarian before he ever went to, uh, to uh, law school and became our governor. And I appreciate his proclamation. He began the emergency proclamation in the formal sense when he said, Whereas the state of California is experiencing record drought conditions, and 2014 is projected to become the driest year on record, and then he went on to give his other formal things. In his informal talk after the proclamation, he said these words, Now we're facing a phenomenon of nature that makes us realize we are dependent on rain. He goes on to say, there is not a government program in and of itself that can compensate for the lack of rain. Hopefully, it will rain eventually. In our modern world, it's easy for us to think that food actually comes from stores. I had somebody say recently, we shouldn't be killing animals, we should go get our meat at the store. I'll take them back to the farms. We often think that water comes from bottles. And it's easy to convince ourselves that we are invincible in modern life. That if we have a problem, we just talk to the government about it and they pass some law. Or we go to our scientists and they uh, do some research and discover how to cure or to solve this problem. Or we go to our economists if... Uh, there's some hint that there's going to be something wrong with our economy, then they'll, they'll tweak it and fix it. And we even go to our, our popular culture thinking that this emptiness of the soul could be satisfied if we just found the right film or the right art or the right song uh, that would speak to us. We're all seeking for this, this invincibility. And we can convince ourselves that we have transcended the need to be dependent on anything not even on the weather, let alone on the creator of the weather, of God himself. But then a drought comes, and our grass dies, our souls wither, our marriages falter and fail, our businesses collapse, our securities are no longer secure, and the most important things in life are our family, Our health, our communities, our souls are in an unprecedented drought and suddenly we're withering in that place. Now in these moments, a wise person will admit that we are dependent on a power far greater than ourselves if we are to live life and to live it abundantly and that we're not even able to make it rain 
let alone make meaningful life. Last Sunday, we studied the words of Jesus with Nicodemus when he came to him in the darkness. And we saw that it wasn't just a problem that he was in darkness that his eyes couldn't see, but he didn't have the life that comes from God that gives you new eyes and new ears and new mind and new heart. We recognize that it is not that that God just takes a human being and adds a little extra to their life, making them a little better person. He comes in and he transforms us from the very beginning, changing everything about who we are and why we live and why we do and don't do what we do. And now just a short term later, he's made a little bit of a journey and he's going through Samaria, which Jewish people didn't normally do. And he stops at a well and he finds a woman who is in a drought. In every way, she needed this elixir of life. She was socially outcast. She was wary and weary. She had marital failure after marital failure. And she could still attract a man, but now this man would not commit to her in marriage. She was theologically argumentative. She struggled to believe anything. In every way, he comes across a woman in a drought. But then one day, in the heat of the day, when she comes to the well, and she comes at noon because nobody goes to the well in the heat of the day, and so she can avoid all the gossip of all the people who are continually talking negatively to her and about her. But in that moment, in her deepest drought, she finds a prophet. But it's a prophet like no one has ever seen or anyone has ever known. It's a prophet who can give from his very being a well of water that will spring up within us as he gives us new life, as we are born of God, as we have his presence with us. In her thirst, just as Nicodemus did in his darkness, she meets the Lord. And he comes to her and he expresses to her, just as he did to Nicodemus, that he is light and he's life. That he's the giver of new life and the sustainer of that life. That it's possible with him to rise above all the drought and all the difficulty if she will depend upon him and place her life in his care and ask him to care for her because he's expressed his care and is willing to do it for her. Now that's where we are in this story. It's one of the most amazing uh, stories and moments in all of scripture. And uh, we want to walk through it. Remember that the best you're going to hear today is the Word of God. So listen to the Word of God. This is recorded by John and the woman at the Samaritan well. Verse 5 of the fourth chapter. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had, used, had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, 
Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And John explains, for Jews did not associate with Samaritans, and he doesn't in include that they don't talk to women who are not with a man. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worship on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit, and His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. And now one of the most profound statements in all of Scripture given to a woman at a well. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what are you, what do you want? Why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to them, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying, it's still four months until the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop from, for eternal life so that the grower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap but you have not worked for. 
Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the, the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I keep that open before you. Let's pray. Jesus, that you would come into a broken world that rebelled against your wonderful paradise. That you yourself would take upon your humble position in life, this this great sorrow and brokenness and set us free. That is something that boggles our mind but speaks deeply to our hearts. We know love like that and we want to know that love more deeply. And we see it expressed to a woman at a well. And we want to experience and express it as well. Be with every person here. You know where they are in their own spiritual journey. You know what drought they may or may not be experiencing now. But I would ask that you would give us living water in ways that transform. And of course, we will give all adoration and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. In these two narratives, both of Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, we have two of the most profound statements that Jesus ever makes in his public ministry. They happen in the dark and at high noon. They happen to the most esteemed Sanhedrin, which was like the high court judge of the land. They happen to a Sanhedrin member And then they happen to the most destitute, the most rejected of outcasts within society. On the surface, we could say that they are as opposite as two people could be. And yet they both are in need of transforming life and the nourishing presence of God, the living water on which we all live. Last week, we heard the words of new birth, as I said earlier, as Nicodemus expresses very clearly to us. Jesus expresses to Nicodemus very clearly that I did not come just to make you better people. And that you can get from a self-help book. I came to make you a whole new creature, different in every way, breathing the breath of God, having the eyes to see and the ears to hear. And now today, he says to the woman at the well, there's a elixir, this wonderful, life-giving, living water that can be yours, that will spring from within you as my presence is placed deep within your soul. And you can have life such that you live life abundantly in every way that you want to experience it. That nourishment is an expression of who God is, not just to the woman at the well, but to all of us. He's the Messiah the Son of God, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And he's come that we might have life abundantly. Now, it's amazing, of course, to all of us who who understand society to think that he would announce this great identity to an outcast woman at a well where nobody's around. 
I mean, if you were to talk to the marketing people, he made a, a big mistake there. You would think that if you were going to have a spokesperson for your company, you would choose someone a little more uh, suitable. And you would also think that he would do it when there's a lots of people to hear who he is, and so they could tweet it to all their friends. But he doesn't. There's no one there. It's an outcast woman. And yet this moment has thundered throughout history as the moment in which Jesus proclaimed clearly to all of us who he is and what he's come to do and what it means for us to receive this truth and to truly have life and to have it completely transforming abundantly. So if this is true, and this is one of the most amazing moments, I want to encourage you this third week of Lent to focus in on this, just as I encourage you to do in the Adam and Eve story as we walk through that. Read it once a day during this week of Lent. But every time you read it, read it from a different perspective and put yourself in the middle of the, of the story. Read it in the first place, of course, in the place of the woman. Scared, fearful, distrusting, outcast, alone, misused by men, abusing herself and others. No one talks to you, but Jesus does. He tells you everything. He knows you. He knows who you are and what you've done, the deepest secrets and the most glaring disappointments. He offers you a drink of something so deep that he says it will satisfy everything you've ever longed for. Everything that's caused you to seek in all these unseemly places. And you suddenly recognize that there is more to your life than this temporary experience and certainly your place within society itself. You recognize that if you are to be dependent on this one, you will find life and you will find light. Then the second time, read through it the next day and put yourself in Jesus' place. Full of compassion, you're empathetic. You want to relieve the deep pain of this woman that has come to the well in all the heat that she's in socially and physically and spiritually. And you want to, to, to give her life and to give her relief from that. And yet she's She's fearful and she's distant and she's argumentative and she brings up all these theological problems so she doesn't have to encounter God herself. And yet she hears and she understands and she asks for this living water that you've come to give. Put yourself in Jesus' place as she runs to town and gives witness that he may in fact be the Messiah, the one that they're all longing to know. How does Jesus feel as he sees these white heads of people coming and the harvest is ready and this town at least is going to receive the truth? The third day you read it, put yourself in the apostles' place. They've gone to get food like they're supposed to. They're taking care of their rabbi and they come back and here's Jesus talking to a woman of a race that they are prejudiced against 
and with whom they have all kinds of theological arguments about the truth of God and who he is. It's far more than just a, a social faux pas that Jesus is doing. He's entering in to this woman's life and talking with her as though she matters, as though she's a real person, as though she has great and eternal value to God. Put yourself in their place as this woman goes and testifies and the whole town follows their testimony. And who's responded to the, their testimony? And how has God blessed her in ways that they would have loved to have been blessed, but they were not? And in that moment, put yourself in the disciples' place as they become humbled and dependent on the one who brings about all salvation. And that it's not through social status or racial background or educational achievement that the word of God moves forward. It's by the power of God and the truth and the integrity of the, the testimony of the witness that God knows me and he's changed me. Put yourself in the place the next day of the townspeople. Read it from their perspective. The woman, the woman no one respects, the woman no one talks to, comes back. Suddenly a different woman who changed her. What happened? What is this all about? And you follow her out and, and you meet the one who changed her and you begin to to hope that maybe you could be changed. Maybe your deepest needs could be changed and you could get out of that drought, whatever it's been that has taken it away from you. And that you recognize that in that moment, you have an opportunity to have new life and to have it not just in a moment, but in an ongoing spring of living water that, that's rising up within you. And you recognize that this is the one that I've longed for. This is the one that was promised would come. And your life has changed forever and eternally. Take time this week. Read it through. Let the event itself communicate to you the truth about who Jesus Christ is. And allow your life to be something more than a drought or a theological debate. It's interesting in the words that are, are spoken here that this argument over worship and where the mountains are to be and how we're supposed to do it and everything becomes a smokescreen to try to keep God out of her life. And so often there are things that we do in a, in a theological and ecclesial sense in which we argue over things in order to keep God out of our life and not worship him in spirit and in truth and let him become one with us as we experience his love in whatever location and in whatever situation we find ourselves. The arguments keep us away from. The humility brings him closer to. And it's in that place that Jesus says, those who worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. So this morning I encourage you, lie down in the green pastures, drink deep of the still waters, let his presence nourish and change and transform you. If there's anything that is keeping you from him, whatever kind of drought it might be, let him be your living water. Let's spend time with him.